Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. All right, go for it. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everyone. It's V the Gorilla Economist coming to you live. And, folks, this is a man who needs no introduction. I'm not going to spend a lot of time introducing him, but it's Harley Schlanger. Check out his work over at theschillerinstitute.org, also at larouchepack.com. Harley is the voice of reason in this crazy, tumultuous world. His perspectives are absolutely invaluable. So I urge all of you to listen closely. Have your notebooks ready. Uh, With that being said, Harley, how are you, sir? I'm grateful. Thanks for that introduction. <laughs> oh, I, I try, Harley. I try to, you know, give the best intros I possibly can. And uh, you, sir, deserve all of them. I mean, uh, like I was saying before we went live, folks. Every time Harley comes on, the YouTube algorithms go crazy, and they instantly flag us uh, for all sorts of things. But uh, that is a badge of honor. That's how you know that this is a gentleman who is actually out there speaking truth in a very cohesive and sensical manner that is literally painting who the targets are and where our focus should be. So that's a great thing. So, Harley, you are part of, a, of an elite group of, of people that uh, Google and YouTube has, uh, has put on their list as, as dangerous provocateurs, Harley. Dangerous. <laughs> well, I will take that as a badge of honor. Yes. And, and you know, the, what, what's important is if, if you look at the situation that's emerging – uh, we're really in a, a fascinating moment following this summit that the BRICS countries had in South Africa, which has gotten almost no coverage in the United States. Yeah. Uh, secondly, the election of a new president of Pakistan, uh, Imran Khan, made a, a, a really interesting comment, which it bears on the developments at the BRICS conference. So let me start with the BRICS conference uh, and, and its follow-up where you had not just the five BRICS countries, but you had about 15 other countries. They're calling it now BRICS Plus, including Indonesia, Turkey, Argentina, uh, the Organization of Islamic Conferences, the Mercosur Group from South America, uh, really a South-South development conference. And Xi Jinping in his keynote said, look, the key to the future is science and technology, And we believe every nation has an equal right to develop and that every child has an equal right to become a scientist, an engineer, a creator, uh, uh, have a role in developing culture. uh, And that's what we're committed to. Now, immediately after the conference, where there were a number of bilateral and, and multilateral side discussions, the word came out of Russia that For those people who in the past said that the BRICS was really setting up an alternative monetary system, in the past that wasn't true. But given developments recently, including the stubborn clinging by the central banks of the transatlantic region, the Bank of England, the European Central Bank, and the Federal Reserve, clinging to this quantitative easing model, clinging to the speculative casino economy, 
The Russians are saying, well, we may need to move into a new financial system. And of course, that's already in place with the uh, Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, the BRICS Bank, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Bank, the Chinese putting up hundreds of billions in both immediate credit and uh, promised credit in the next five years. Now bringing in the Arab countries to, to, to this, some of the developed countries, um, such as, well, developed Arab countries, Abu Dhabi, Qatar, countries that actually have a lot of funds. So we're seeing a move outside of the old system. Now, what Xi Jinping said is, look, we don't want to get rid of the old system, but if the old system doesn't change, it's going to disappear. And I think this is the point that people have to think about. We have an, an enormous potential for a shifting or a transformation of global strategic financial relations. And that brings me back to Pakistan. I just want to make this final point as, as a kind of introductory statement. Imran Khan said, look, we in Pakistan want the Chinese model. It works really well in China. It would work well in Pakistan. But then he went on to say, we also want rapprochement with India. Now, Imran Khan is the, the newly elected president of Pakistan. And he went on to say that for every step India makes toward rapprochement with Pakistan, I will make two steps toward India. And then it was announced this week, something that's totally new and shocking to anybody who follows these developments, the Pakistani military is going to conduct joint maneuvers with the Russian military. Now, the reason that's important is that the old alliances in the region were Pakistan with China and India with Russia. If that starts to change, if Pakistan uh, works with Russia, if China and India work together as Modi and Xi say they're going to, then this, this whole new system comes into being. And the important thing about this new system is it's not based on private central banks controlling the credit of nations. It's based on nation states acting in the interests of their people to control the credit systems, to make sure credit goes to real production as opposed to speculative bubbles and the Jamie Dimons of the world. Now, in this context, Jamie Dimon came out this week and, and gave another warning. He said, look, we've got to keep quantitative easing going because we've never had it before and we don't know how to get out of it. And I think people should read these statements from people like Jamie Dimon and realize there's an incredible panic going on. And this is something that Trump is well aware of. Uh, he's in a position to do something about. We've got to free him from this Russiagate fraud so that he can move ahead in collaboration with people like Putin and Xi. And I'm convinced that if the United States moves in that direction, Europe will have no alternative but to move with the United States. Absolutely. All right, speaking about the, uh, the Indian-Pakistani relationship and how that is an absolute blow to the British model, the British imperial model that was set up to begin with back in the late 40s when they saw that the breakaway of the subcontinent was happening, and to divide that that region and to create it as a point of strife, a pivot point on the global stage, it's a major blow. You talked about a, 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 that that Imran Khan, the new elected prime minister of Pakistan, wanting to move. Uh, and the term you use, Harley, uh, what is that term again? I, I, the rapprochement. Yeah, could you explain to the audience what that is? Well, it basically means a a renewal of of relations, a, a, uh, an alliance. 
uh, common interests, pursuit of common interests. And this is crucial because, as you say, look at the dividing lines in the post-war period, with many of which go back to the beginning of the 20th century. You have the whole Middle East, you know, Israel pitted against the Arab states, the Sunni states against the Shia states. Uh, And then in the Indian subcontinent, which is one of the most populated areas of the world, you had Hindu Hindu versus Muslim, the creation of Pakistan, the the initial dividing of East and West Pakistan. And now all of a sudden, these countries are coming together saying, we have more in common than we do with the bankrupt British system. That's the change. Yeah. Yeah. Tremendous. Tremendous. That, Uh, That is a major setback to the globalists. Um, massive. Well, Lord Mountbatten is probably spinning in his watery grave right now. <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah, post post death uh, trauma. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, and, and V, this is you know every day there's something that comes out of this that's new. I mean, Trump saying, "Look, I'll meet with the Iranians. I don't even need preconditions." You know, if they want to talk seriously, let's talk seriously. Uh, look at the shock that should have been a hit in the, the United States when Trump talked with uh, 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 Lopez Obrador, the, the new president of Mexico. And instead of saying, we're going to shove a wall down your throat and send you the bill, the two of them are talking about a collaborative relationship to not just uh, uh, end NAFTA or change NAFTA, but to deal with the immigration problem. And one of the ways that AMLO, the new Mexican president, wants to deal with the immigration problem is by helping the countries such as El Salvador and Honduras to have some economic development. And what was Trump's response? Great, let's meet and talk about it. So you have these shifts underway that each and every one of them is fantastic. Uh, Prime Minister Conte of Italy was in uh, Washington early this week met with Trump. Again, this was underplayed in the media, but what did Conte and and Trump talk about? They didn't just talk about immigration. They talked about the failure of the European Union economic model and the importance of reestablishing a U.S.-Italian relationship as a bilateral relationship. What are the issues that they took up? Immigration is one. Uh, Ending sanctions on Russia was another. And reforming the European Union was another. So these are are phenomenal events. And then you see the blowback. You see the continuing hysteria over the Trump-Putin relationship. And now there's a new one. Trump is is now taking on the Koch brothers. Now, this is significant. I just wrote an article on this. Huge. It's absolutely massive. Yeah, because what do the Koch brothers represent? They represent the old Bush neoconservative neoliberal model, which is the American version of British imperialism. Uh, cheap labor, globalized free trade in which the corporations have control over and above nation states. They hate Trump for that. Uh, the, they, they also are uh, uh, opponents of what Trump is doing with Russia, and they control the purse strings of a significant portion of the Republicans in the Congress, including people like Paul Ryan, uh, including Ben Sasse, Nikki Haley is on their list. Mike Pence is one of their biggest uh, uh, benefactors. So throughout the Trump administration and the Republican Party, you have these neoconservative neoliberals who Trump trounced 
in the primary, the Republican primary in 2016, who managed to come back in and who are undermining everything Trump is trying to do. One other example of why this thing with the Koch brothers is important, they're completely opposed to Trump's idea of infrastructure because their view is that only private-public partnerships in which companies like theirs finance useless projects like toll roads and, and things of that sort, as opposed to building new modern infrastructure. And they've held Trump back on this, and it's Republicans in Congress who have opposed Trump on this. And, and then you have weasels like Schumer of New York, who, who does his own sabotage. He says he's with Trump on this, and then he sabotages it in his own way. But what Trump did by calling them out is make clear that he's not going to allow them to use the 2018 midterm elections to blackmail him. And I think this is an, another absolutely stunningly important development of this last week. It's tremendous. Harley, what's your opinion on, on Trump uh, trying to get Jeff Sessions to put a squash on this whole Mueller investigation? And Sessions is uh, nowhere to be found. I mean, what's going on? <laughs> He's such... What's going on with Mr. Magoo over there? Well, you know, he, he reminds me of a mole. You know, uh, in German, the word is Malvorf. And, you know, they always have cartoons of these guys with glasses perched on the edge of their nose, banging into walls. Uh, you know, the, the key thing is, you know, forget Sessions for a moment. The Mueller investigation is a complete fraud. It has been from the beginning. And now the, what, what emerged with these FISA documents that uh, Nunes dug out, now, he's absolutely right. The FISA documents show that it was the Christopher Steele dossier, which was used covertly by the FBI uh, to get the, the uh, FISA warrants against Carter Page and others. It, it also shows that the FBI in the FISA warrant itself did not fully inform the court that the Steele dossier was paid for by Hillary Clinton. I mean, this is unprecedented. The FBI goes to court to spy on a, a presidential campaign based on bogus evidence provided by the other, the opposition research of the other candidate. So on that basis alone, it should be thrown out. And now we have this big show trial, the Manafort trial. And what does this have to do with Russiagate, the, the mandate initially given by Rosenstein to Robert Mueller? Now, V, I saw something the other day. I, I hadn't seen this before, but it was a clip from 2003. And it was Robert Mueller as FBI director, who at the time was covering up for the terrorist funding that was going on worldwide, including some coming from the CIA, he was covering it up. But in this clip in 2003, he's telling the Congress that he has absolute confidence in the reports that Saddam Hussein not only has weapons of mass destruction, but he said, my biggest fear is that these weapons will end up in the hands of terrorists. Now, first of all, the only way those weapons would have ended up in the hands of terrorists would be if the Bush administration or the Obama administration gave them to the terrorists, which in fact which they, they eventually did. did. Yeah. But secondly... Mueller bought the lie that came from Sir Richard Dearlove and Tony Blair about Saddam Hussein, which led us into uh, two presidential uh, terms of wars based on lies. 
Now, this is the guy who's the straight arrow that we should trust. I mean, he should be bounced out immediately, the investigation shut down, or otherwise, Trump should, should demand that Mueller take up Putin's offer by sending U.S. investigators over to Russia to watch the Russians interrogate the 12 indicted GRU agents and reciprocate by allowing the Russians to come and observe the interrogation of those CIA operatives and others who have run meddling operations in Russia and other countries. So if you're going to say we, we're, we believe there's meddling, okay, let's get it all out in the open. They haven't done it. It's been a, a consistent cloak and dagger show where the line is essentially, you have to trust our intelligence agencies because they're fighting for our interests. Well, they're not. They never have been. They never will. Uh, John Kennedy was right. You should smash the CIA into a thousand pieces. Oh, absolutely correct. I, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, um, do you think that there's a great opportunity for that to happen? I think we have a better opportunity now than we've ever had because we have a president who's not a bullshitter on this issue. Yeah. You know, whatever else Trump is. And look, as you know, V, I don't support everything he does. I'm not too happy with the way things are progressing with China because I think there's an opportunity here to collaborate and to expand trade greatly, which is being missed by just going with a tariff policy to punish China. But on the other hand, when was the last time a president stood up to the CIA? When was the last time a president Kennedy. stood up to the, the FBI? Exactly. Yep. John Kennedy. Yep. Since that time, no president has had the guts to do it. And what Trump is doing, which is what Kennedy didn't do, is go public with it. Had John Kennedy had access to Twitter and done what Trump is doing, he probably would have served out two terms and been one of the greatest presidents in our history. So, you know, I think you have to acknowledge that Trump's courage, even if he gets it wrong sometimes, his courage is opening a window into the systemic corruption of the intelligence community, its relationship with British intelligence, with rotten elements of the old Soviet intelligence, as well as with the whole city of London financial establishment. And this gives us an opportunity really to drain the swamp because the swamp is not just lobbyists. The swamp is the people who are above the lobbyists, who pay the lobbyists to do their dirty work, to destroy national economies for the sake of, for the benefit of the profits of the globalized corporations. So we have an opportunity and we shouldn't squander it. Agreed wholeheartedly. Harley, what else is on your radar? What about the uh, situation, real quick, of the Middle East peace? Uh, there's some uh, murmurings about that and uh, the position that Trump is taking. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Well, the problem is it, it, it's not yet transparent, but the part of it that is transparent is the part that has the establishment so freaked out, which is that Trump does trust that Putin will do the right thing in Syria. I should have mentioned this earlier. There's just now underway a plan to reconstruct the city of Aleppo, which was nearly destroyed by the uh, al-Nusra Front and, and ISIS. And now you have the Russians and the Chinese, and in, in some cases, a few Arab countries chipping in some money to rebuild the city. This is crucial. Uh, also, you have U.S. military and the Russians moving beyond deconfliction 
to actual coordination in the case of the cleaning up in Idlib and, and the area around the Jordan border, and also guarantees, security guarantees on the Golan Heights that will keep Iranian forces away from that to remove the Israeli pretext for a strike against Syria or Iran. Now, all of these things are highly combustible, and no one knows exactly what will happen. And I certainly don't have any confidence in the Jared Kushner, who seems to have done nothing to earn the confidence of the country except marrying uh, Ivanka Trump. But he, he, he's a foreign policy specialist, Harley. Yeah, I know. Foreign policy specialist who for quite a while was removed from having a security clearance. Yes, but, but Harley, he's so smart that he learned, and this is his own words, that he learned everything there is to know about Middle East peace and this Middle Eastern situation while waiting for a ski lift. Yeah, well, if he learned it, then one of the things he should have learned by now is that his father-in-law should work with Putin. And the two of them could go a long way towards straightening out the situation in the Middle East. Now, to do it, you've got to keep that. What, what Putin's doing is you've got to keep a foot on Israel's neck. At the same time, you're offering yep. them a way out. You know, th this is one of the key things about diplomacy is that if all you do is threaten, you just create more animosity in the adversary. But if you say, look, if, if you keep screwing around, you're going to have trouble. On the other hand, here are some positive options we'd like to explore with you. And that's what Trump did with Kim Jong-un. And by the way, we just had an exchange of letters between the two of them. There are some, There is some progress in, in that area. Uh, we see what Trump has done with uh, uh, Putin overall. And they are talking about two meetings next year, at least, in addition to a couple of other encounters on the sidelines of some upcoming international events. Kim Jong-un might come to the UN General Assembly in September and have a meeting there with President Xi and Trump. That would be a very interesting three-way discussion. Yeah. And I'm sure Chuck Schumer is going to do everything he can to bug every building in New York City to make sure he finds out what was said at that meeting. <laughs> but the important thing is that these are all real possibilities and things are moving ahead. And, you know, if Trump doesn't do everything you want, well, that's fine. He has shaken up the establishment to its core. Oh, yeah. Also, just to mention one other thing, his broadside against the Federal Reserve, you know, stop raising interest rates, you know, is really interesting because the so-called uh, third rail in, in uh, financial policy is that the president doesn't intervene in what the Federal Reserve does. Well, Trump doesn't care about these things. He's concerned about will there be adequate credit to fund a real industrial policy in the United States. And Correct. he knows there won't be if you leave it in the hands of Jamie Dimon and the, the New York Federal Reserve. So I thought that was another significant development in the last 10 days. Yeah. No, it is very significant. And um, I, I think uh, he is pushing back. There's no doubt. I mean, there's no way that anybody can see what's happening with um, you know, with with Trump, with the administration, the moves they're making and saying, hey, you know what, it's business as usual. It's not business as usual. There's a clear, distinct, and very palpable change in the attitude that is happening right now in Washington, D.C. that you, you, you can't wish it away. It's, it's reality at this point, Harley. Well, and, and, and I would just say to, to your listeners, because I, I, I have started getting some emails from your listeners and, you know, people express their caution or their skepticism 
you know, this is not a time for skepticism. This is a time to plow ahead with a, a, an agenda which goes back to the, the best traditions of the American system, an entrepreneurial, science-oriented economy where credit is made available to those people who will put it to good use, producing something, not buying Facebook stock or Amazon or things of that sort, but by actually producing some real wealth. Yeah. And if we take this advantage, this, this uh, take advantage of this opportunity, uh, it will transform the earth because the much of the rest of the world is already moving in this direction. The new paradigm is here. This is not George H.W. Bush's new world order. It's not Lord Rothschild pulling the strings. The Rothschilds are completely hysterical about these developments. Look at what's going on in Britain with Brexit. You know, the, the, the city of London threatened the EU that they wouldn't use let them use their clearinghouses for derivatives, and the EU panicked over that. Instead, the EU, if they were a sovereign body, would say, well, we're getting out of the derivatives business so you can eat your own losses. So there are solutions to these things, and they're being worked through. Uh, the possibility, you know, the Russians dumping U.S. treasuries, uh, buying gold, there are all kinds of signs that we are on the verge of a complete break with the post-World War II policy. With the best of those post-World War II policies continuing, that is industrial investment, but the whole funny money, jiggery-pokery of the Federal Reserve and the global central banks tossed in the trash can. That's a real possibility. So don't just speculate about it and then say it'll never happen. Roll up your sleeves and get involved in the fight. And if people are interested, I, as always, I'll, I'll offer my services to your listeners. You know, send me an email. I'll, I'll get you linked up with my blog. And uh, also, we can, you know, if you have questions or ideas, you know, let's have let's have a real dialogue. Absolutely, Harley Schlanger. Thank you so much for being on with us and uh, sharing this well, valuable intel. Yes. Hey, let me let me give out my email address. Now. Oh my God! I'm so sorry, Harley. Apologize. <laughs> I almost forgot. It's Harley S C H at gmail.com. Harley H A R L E Y S C H at gmail.com. And uh, your listeners know I do respond. Absolutely. And with that being said, folks, um, uh, thank you all for listening in. Very vital, very important. And we're over and we're out. Take it away, CJ. <laughs>